Hi, good morning, everyone, and welcome. This is Seek Sustainable Japan. I'm JJ Walsh, your host in Hiroshima, Japan, and today I'm talking with a social linguist based in Australia, very enthusiastic about how Japanese is written and really looking at the decisions being made before people promote how they write in Japanese. So, really excited to talk to you, Dr. Wes Robinson. Thank you so much for joining. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So, originally you're from the US, but you've、yes. been living in Australia for a long time. Is that right? Yeah, about a, about a decade now. Now, I heard your really good interview on Japan Kyo with Tony Vega, who was on the, the series last week,、uh, talking about one of the reasons you started this research is you had、mm. kind of started to feel bored about studying Japanese. And this got you really passionate about looking at the scripting. Is that right? Um, I don't know if I'd say I got、uh, bored with it per se, but I, I was sort of、uh, running. The gears around, I guess. Like, I didn't really know、uh, what kind of was next.、Um, I i don't have a background in like translation.、Uh, I didn't see myself necessarily working at like a Japanese business.、Uh, so I didn't know what exactly to study. I could always learn new、um, vocabulary, et cetera. But、uh, I, I passed the JLPTs.、Um, so, I, well, what, what's kind of the next step? Uh, and I, I thought that academia,、um, kind of studying Japanese from、uh, that kind of perspective, would be the, the right thing to do. And in the process of that, I kind of started to revisit some things I'd noticed, but never really understood or, or had the ability to kind of look at in any、uh, meaningful way.、Um, and script is one of them. And that sort of kind of snowballed into something that kept me interested in the language.、Uh, because when I started to go beyond just learning words and meanings and grammar and stuff and learning kind of how. Language and society kind of link together and interact, and how that makes meaning.、Uh, it did definitely create、um, a, a new way to keep finding out new things and keep exploring and learning things about Japanese. Not to say that I knew you know, all the words or anything like that, but、uh, it, it was getting a bit、uh, the habit of, of just studying vocab and practicing vocab after you know, a decade plus was getting a little bit um, you know,、uh, repetitive, I suppose, in some ways, yeah. I was just showing your really good blog that you do, Scripting Japan. Thank you.、Uh, so, if people want to、uh, find all your resources, you keep it up to date、uh, with free resources.、Uh, you put all of your talks there, online lectures, learning materials, and Twitter threads.、Um, this is how I did a lot of the research for today. You've done so much. My、yeah,、goodness. I gotta update that other projects though. That, that,、uh, those, there's more of those reviews. But yeah, I, I try to keep things、um, available um, and、uh, wherever I can offer you know, things for, for free because I, I, you know, what I can do is, is limited, but I do believe that、uh, educational materials should be as available as possible. So a small contribution to that, I suppose, if I can. Hopefully, they don't,、uh, hopefully they're not boring or bad, but you know, just putting out there what, what I have the,、uh, the ability to do.、Uh, 
And you've, yeah, like you've the, book's, recently, the book's not there, unfortunately, but that's, no, you know, again, the ability. You've re recently published with Rutledge, uh, mm -hmm. Scripting Japan on Orthography, Variation, and the Creation of Meaning in Written Japanese. So if uh, people want to order online, it is a little bit expensive because it's an academic book. But yeah. hopefully this is in university libraries around the world as well as mm -hmm. around Japan, right? You should be able to, yeah, university libraries um, hopefully have it. If they don't, you can always ask your library to buy it, which would be great. Uh, and the ebook is is more reasonable, but I do know that, yeah, the price of that is is quite expensive. So uh, hopefully in a few years or something, uh, after anyone has interest in it, they'll release like a paperback version. But yeah, uh, academic presses do have uh, a bit of a, a high price range on that, unfortunately. So uh, if you don't access it, though, I would just, um, uh, and it's not in your university library, uh, if you message them and say, hey, can you, Get a copy of this. It's quite, you know, it's uh, a usual a route. I do it all the time. So, yeah. Uh, in fact, I was working at university for over twenty years, and and mm. there were always looking for good books to stock the library with for students oh, as yeah. well as faculty, right? Yeah, there's a lot of um. They have a budget for books every year, and uh, oftentimes some of it doesn't go and use because people just don't think they can ask. So, uh, it's good to you know bother them and fill out the uh, the collection. Yeah. In fact, I, I miss that. I miss that being able to order great books every year now that I'm I'm working for myself and out of yeah. academia. <laughs> it's a, yeah, a it's, nice perk well, of the job. I mean, we can't, uh, you know, um, I, I, it's hard even for academic, academics to, to catch up with all the stuff that comes out and the prices of them. Like there's a lot of books that I've wanted to get that are, you know, two, three hundred dollars a night. So, but you can get them through the library, fortunately, uh, if not, yeah, with I mean, <laughs> we'd have to get a sizable pay raise to be able to keep up with anything. Uh, research now, wise. now you're at Macquarie University, yes. and you're teaching Japanese studies as well as linguistics, or basically just Japanese studies. Uh, basically, I teach introductory Japanese, uh, one and two. Um, I don't have any linguistics courses at the moment. I do some guest lecturing here and there. Um, and we had a class that was on Japanese linguistics, but unfortunately with COVID, there's been some uh, shortening of, of courses and that one uh, is suspended at the moment. So right now my focus is entirely on introductory Japanese. So, uh, you know, I work in um, insights from my research wherever I can. Um, you know, we control the, the materials we use in class. So uh, we try to make sure that uh, we're able to work in sociolinguistic perspectives and just some knowledge on, you know, Japanese culture, Japanese society, et cetera, that draws on the specialties of the people in our department wherever possible. But uh, I do not have currently like a, a full on linguistics class, unfortunately. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's you know, I, I always hope that um, the stuff I write is being taught somewhere. But unfortunately, I can't uh, ensure that that's the case. Uh, currently, no, no. no, you you have to, but it's it's very similar to some of the topics we're going to talk about about mm -hmm. how uh, choice of scripting has changed <laughs> over time, depending on uh, trends or fashion or what's happening in the real world. Um, so let's try to walk through the five reasons that mm -hmm. you often talk about on your excellent seminars that you often have available online, you have these five reasons for differentiation in script. Can you mm -hmm. walk us through step one, the unavoidable? Yeah, so um, script isn't like spelling, uh, basically. Uh, the fact of the matter is that variation in the way that Japanese is written, so uses of kanji where some people would use hiragana or hiragana where someone else would use kanji or katakana, vice versa, 
um, is is kind of inevitable unless Japan goes down some kind of uh, incredibly uh, <laughs> hard government control, which you know they're not interested in. Uh, spelling, you know, is pretty consistent in a lot in most countries. Most they have a spelling system, but when you have a script issue, the fact of the matter is that uh, anything can be written in any way, and uh, indeed throughout the history of Japan. Uh, the the spell you know they don't tell you this usually when you take introductory Japanese but the writing system the way of writing that you learn introductory Japanese uh, not only is is only a norm currently but it's something that has only existed in like a formal setting for uh, less than a hundred years uh, the writing that we understand now as as Japanese writing is there are people alive who uh, were not you know who did, grew up without it as the standard. Um, there were the there were forms that were based on what we use now, uh, you know, similar things to what we use now. They've been around for hundreds of years, but they weren't the only one. And and Japanese was in a, a rather chaotic uh, position where you know, depending on who you were, your who you're writing for, what your background was, you just wrote Japanese in different ways. Uh, writing from incredibly complex, right? If you go back back, you get forms that mirror classical Chinese, but then you have to decode into Japanese to again forms very similar. Um, Form like katakana was used like we use hiragana now in, in a lot of major publications. Um, so yeah, there, there was no standard. Um, and now we do have a standard, but the standard is not a rule. And when you have something as complicated as uh, multiple writing systems, especially you know kanji, you can't just mandate everyone follow the same thing because what if somebody doesn't know a kanji? Like, you can't, you know, arrest them for that. Uh, uh, what if somebody thinks that their audience doesn't know a kanji, right? What if somebody forgets a kanji? Uh, what if somebody doesn't, like, thinks there's too many, you know, uh, what if somebody just feels like certain words, like animal names are a big one, um, should be written in katakana? What if someone grew up in the 1960s and rather than, like, the 1990s, uh, where you had different kanji on the Joyo kanji list? Uh, you're going to get variation. And what if someone you know, sits down and learns enough to pass the level one kanji kente? Uh, you can't tell them, hey, good job, you've learned 6,000-ish kanji characters. Uh, don't use any of them besides the ones that we teach in school or we'll fine you. Like, that, that's just not going to happen. So uh, variation is just going to happen. Uh, it, it's There are no rules to script use. There are guidelines that range from very, very strict. So hiragana for grammatical particles, for instance, is quite strict. Uh, to rather flexible, like animal names, onomatopoeia, um, even loan words are on the more flexible side because, uh, you know, in, in the nationalistic fervor pre-World War II, a lot of loan words uh, were given kanji or they always had kanji and those were moved in. Uh, you can write almost anything in kanji. Uh, you know, even grammatical particles, words like koko, naze, all those things can be in kanji. So if you want to, you can. Uh, so that means that you're never going to get the kind of consistency that uh, you tend to see with with something like spelling, although again, spelling is not uh, perfectly consistent either. So yeah, just like script itself is a weird thing, and if you're going to have multiple scripts, you're going to have a division in them. Uh, you know, you don't see as much in like English because upper and lower case, pretty fairly, you know, pretty pretty basic understanding of of kind of the rules there. But there's not a history of of people just using every single possible combination of upper and lower case for hundreds of years and then being told stop doing that. Uh, whereas in Japan, you do have a history of every single person, like every single script being used for everything in, in every possible combination. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, you know, it, it's surprising and pretty impressive that they've gotten it to be as consistent as it is, but that doesn't mean that, uh, we can expect 
uh, that kind of consistency. So we shouldn't be surprised when we encounter it. And that's a, that's a trick when you're doing research on script too, is that you have to uh, make sure you have the evidence that what you're looking at as a interesting data source or what you're looking at as kind of a novel or a unique use of script is not something that could be explained or hand waved away as just by chance. Um, so yeah, yeah that, like, and that, that Maybe, those kind of, uh, let's, yeah, yeah really. let's take a step back a little mm -hmm. bit, just, uh, for people who might not be that familiar. I think most of our viewers are in Japan and already mm -hmm. familiar with Japanese. Um, but you explain it so clearly how script variation in written Japanese often happens all together. You have this example here with kanji, katakana, and mm -hmm. hiragana in the same sentence. And then yeah. in this in this slide uh, on the cover of this magazine, you mm -hmm. actually show English as well. So there's there's even more than three types of uh, mm -hmm. script use in Japan in Japanese, yeah, it, right? Yeah, and you can go into, if you want to go really obscure, uh, you can find things that involve like Russian Cyrillic elements. You can find um, uh, uses of every language, right? Not just English, although usually in the, the English alphabet, you can, uh, the, sorry, the Latin um, alphabet. Uh, you can find uh, you know huge amounts of combinations, but obviously uh, hiragana, katakana, and kanji are the big three, and then uh, the Roman alphabet uh, is kind of the supplementary fourth. Those are the ones that you can expect to see in any any kind of larger text. But like and I had you, you know Hitachi's. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you had yeah. some interesting insights too about how some of the kanji your computer wouldn't even allow you to yeah. to show that it was really hard to even. Mm -hmm find how to write that or to to re reproduce that when you saw yeah. it somewhere is that right so that kanji there yeah say so um uh from the lyrics of uh the japanese uh death metal band Gotsutsu, uh they um you can't get your computer to to produce that because it's an archaic variant uh and that's something you'll see quite a lot in um literature is very common um poetry uh, and it just show, goes to show how much people do care about kind of uh, the reasons, of course, for each text is going to be a bit different, but people do care about having their writing style. And if you go back to the history of like word processing technology in Japan, one of the things that they would compete with each other is by saying, hey, you can get all these, you know, obscure characters like some of them used to like um, there's some things that authors have done as kind of a form of language play, which is kind of jumping ahead to Ruizen 5, but um, Natsume Soseki, for instance, was known for writing like Tony Kaku as uh, Horns on a Rabbit. So to as Usagi and then Ni and Hiragana and then Kaku for horn. And they'd advertise like, hey, you can write everything, including like the Natsume, like if you type Tony Kaku in and hit the convert bar, it'll give you like the Natsume Soseki conversion. Um, so they would, they would, you know, they would big up how many you can get. Uh, and so that's always been something that people, you know, like. And, and in the past, of course, uh, if you knew the kanji and you could write all these kanji, it was kind of impressive in a way. And now it's... Uh, uh, the view of it's changed because hitting the space bar is not as um, impressive as, as recalling an obscure character. But nevertheless, people do engage with this idea, right, that, that they want to um, use these. Uh, so, yeah, like the fact that people would, would go out of their way to in, include characters that you cannot type on most word processors uh, shows you how important it is to people to have uh, certain representations. Like legibility is valued less than um personal preference in in some cases and you won't see that in like a newspaper right you won't see that in like a mass media publication a government publication where the goal is to have everyone read it but once you are allowed to kind of let yourself as an author shine through a little bit more um the guidelines become more and more guidelines and less and less 
ruley, if that yeah kind of makes sense. Yeah. So it's not mm -hmm. only about um, the practical issues, which is right. your reason number two, right? Yeah. Uh, later on, we get into more of an affected and social understanding mm -hmm. and because it's fun. But in mm -hmm. terms of the practical, this would be when uh, it's a public service announcement or you're trying to get mm -hmm. across something clearly. What does our audience really understand would be mm -hmm. this number two. Is that right? Kind of, yeah. So practical um, is just referring to the fact that like, if you go to any editorial guidebook, like the ones that are published by major newspapers, etc., they recognize that sometimes you're going to have to change script, even when it would be quote unquote non-standard. So like if you're writing for a younger audience, uh, you're going to drop a lot of kanji or at least add furigana right above it uh, because they can't read. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, if you generally speaking, Japanese people find that if there's too much of one script, any script dominating a sentence, it's hard to read. Um, too much kanji is seen as is quite hard to read. Um, too much katakana, too much hiragana. Anyone that's tried to read like a Japanese children's book notes that, you know, like uh, there, when you have too much hiragana, uh, yeah, it like, it just becomes really hard to parse what's going on. Um, katakana as well. I mean, you know, when you read like a, a huge paragraph in katakana that someone's done for some reason, it can be a huge pain. Um, and so, you know, if you have something that naturally would end up, if you follow the guidelines, it would end up with one script dominating. They say, you know, throw in some changes. Um, there are other cases where you have issues of just like space. Uh, so two competing options is, um, well, sorry, two similar things is like the space, you know, a, a speech bubble in a comic or like the headline on a newspaper, you got to jam a lot of information into a very, very small area. So you'll find uses of kanji there that might not fit uh, the norm uh, just because they don't have room for, you know, uh, like you can fit up to, to five hiragana or katakana in one kanji, right? So like something like omon pakaru. Uh, if you had that in hiragana, that's six because of the ru in kanji, it's kanji and then one hiragana for the final ru. Um, so you just don't have the space. On the other hand, sometimes maybe you do want to have space, right? You have all the space, and if you just have one kanji in the middle, it's not what you want. So uh, those kind of practical legibility, uh, I guess aesthetic even uh, concerns could be uh, in there as well. Um, and that's, again, something that when you do any research on script or when you're trying to say, hey, this script was used for this reason, you have to be very, very careful because uh, you have to show that it's not happening for legibility reasons. And it's not happening by chance. It's happening for uh, any of the other reasons. So, mm. yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting. It's so complex. Mm -hmm. But w listening to you talk about these things and the reasons that might be behind it and what it means in terms of social impact and community mm -hmm. and, and how people communicate and how mm -hmm. they use a certain type of communication to connect to their group or to give some kind of emphasis if it's only in written form. Yeah, this yeah. Please plays a lot into the next one, the affected, the emotional mm. reaction to certain scripts. Is that right? Right. Yeah. So that's actually, so the emotional reaction is kind of um, the thing that a lot of research before what I was doing came out and, and argued. And so, yeah, that's the, that's the chart I've made kind of uh, linking. And there's some things that like Katakan you can see is linked as feminine and masculine. So there, there's, there's arguments that, um, 
contradict, at least on paper. But all of these are either asserted by somebody who writes um, or they're linked to something. So kanji, for instance, was part of a writing style called otokode or men's hand. So it's often called like masculine. Uh, hiragana was uh, part of a writing style called onade or women's hand. So it's, it's you know, considered to be feminine. And there's also, you know, social uh, ideologies of what it means to be masculine, feminine, uh, really to hiragana kind of looking soft or cute. And um, now the, these images exist, like psycholinguistic researchers have sat people down and said like, hey, which script is cuter? And they go, oh, Hiragana, and it's consistent. Um, and so, you know, you'll find people like, yeah, that, that comic there, Ribbon, um, it's a comic uh, magazine that has like shoujo manga. So why is it writing the word ribbon in Hiragana instead of Katakana? Well, maybe to be cute, maybe because if it's, uh, it has a young audience something like that. Those analysis, those analyses are, are quite um, plausible. Uh, I specifically critique this line of thinking in my own work. Uh, this was the sort of line of thinking that I encountered when I went to university and I found frustrating. Um, again, not because it's wrong, uh, it's not, but it's often um, asserted as if it's self-evident. So like I can look at that that ribbon magazine you showed and say, yeah, it's it's cute, or and that's why, or yeah, it's it's young and that's why. But that's like my impression, I guess, um, and nothing more. And sure, my impression as as an expert is worth something, hopefully, but it's not an absolute. And I, I saw a lot of research where it kind of created like this loop. We'd have people evidenced in psycholinguistic research that like hiragana is seen as cute, and then someone would say like, here's a cute thing that has hiragana on it. Therefore, hiragana is cute. I confirm it. It just kind of goes around in this circle. And it's like, well, like the fact that a cute thing has hiragana on it and that hiragana is seen as cute, it, it potentially links the idea that hiragana is cute, but it doesn't actually, it's not actual evidence. It, it's a lot of correlation, but it's not um, evidence of the author's intent. Like we don't know if the author feels it's cute. And we also don't know if people think it's cute. Like, like um, this is just the basics between difference between functionalist understandings of language and sociolinguistics. Because if I made this in comparison to something like swearing, um, you'd follow me immediately, hopefully. Cause you know, okay, hiragana in theory is cute. Therefore hiragana in use is cute. Doesn't actually follow that in the same way that if I sit someone down and say like swearing, what is it? And they go vulgar and you go, yeah, okay. Uh, but then, like, I, when they swear, I go, oh, okay, you wanted to be vulgar then. Uh, that might not actually apply, right? Uh, people who sit around, you know, people swear for a variety of reasons, um, and it's not always to be vulgar. Likewise, if, if I said uh, this way of speaking, like, is it cute? And you go, yeah. And then when you hear someone say it, you don't go, oh, that's so cute. You go, oh, that's, you know, I don't like that. Um, so the use in context, the use in relation to ideologies, um, just because something's cute in the abstract doesn't mean it's cute in, in use, you know, um, Hello Kitty is cute. Uh, is it cute when you're, you know, a uh, 70 year old dad wears a, a bunch of Hello Kitty merch? Maybe, maybe, but in context, uh, the, the evaluation changes, right? Like, uh, what is cool? Cool is another one. Like, what does it mean for something to be cool? Is this cool the abstract? Sure. Is it cool when your parents do it? Uh, maybe not. Um, so this understanding of like language in the abstract versus language in use, is kind of the problem that I had with this. So uh, like, yeah, is, is kanji seen as old? Sure. Are there people that use kanji to produce kind of an old affect in the same way that you might use, um, you know, uh, papyrus font or like Gothic font to feel old? Sure. 
is that mean that every time we see kanji used in, an, in a non-standard way, we can say, oh, okay, they're trying to create an old effect and people will understand this as creating an old effect. Absolutely not. Uh, so that's kind of the limits of that. It's, it's an important area of research and it's, it's good that it was done, but I, I do find it a bit uh, limiting because it, it doesn't allow us to actually conclude much, um, but it is something we need to be aware of because it allows us to get potential answers. Um, and oftentimes, again, those answers might maybe may actually be correct, but they they are um, when you're doing research, something you have to remember uh, is more of a potential rather than an absolute. Yeah, so interesting. Um, but your research has kind of hmm. gone beyond that and really testing how is certain text perceived? Uh, hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about your research because that ties in to the number four reason, the social understanding, mm. right? How did right. you set so, your research up? Uh, yeah, so again, I was I was just reading these um, uh, kind of ones on affect, and I found them interesting but frustrating because they, they weren't answering uh, the questions I wanted to. Um, and, and I felt that they were, again, kind of just asserting things and being like, you know, I know I know what's going on because I'm a native speaker. I know what's going on because I know how kanji is perceived, yada, yada, yada. And as you read in sociolinguistics, um, again, this becomes untenable. Uh, in the same way that, you know, we can say boku. Uh, is boku generally associated with men's speech? Yes. Uh, but do women use boku? Yes. So what happens then uh, in those contexts? Do men use boku because they see it as masculine? Uh, maybe, maybe not. Are they, are they trying to convey masculinity in every time that they use Boku? Maybe, maybe not. Uh, you know, these, these dialogues um, circulate. What, what happens in context? What happens with these ideologies? Because the way we under, whenever there's two ways of saying the same thing, so, you know, whatever you want, Boku, Watashi, they both mean I. Uh, elevator, lift, both mean elevator. Um, dog, pupper, doggo, woofer, right? All these, all these things. Whenever you have multiple ways of saying the same thing, we start to develop associations with who uses which forms in which contexts, or who should, in our opinion, use which forms in which contexts. And those influence how we understand and how we use these language forms. And basically, I argue that this is true with, with writing restricted variation as well. So it's not just um, that kanji is old, it's that who uses kanji? When did they use kanji and why do they use kanji? Uh, what is your belief, what we call your language ideology about this? Uh, and so initially, I just wanted to show that we needed these sociolinguistic understandings to understand the variation we encounter. And so I started looking at comics and started taking uh, basically all the dialogue in these comics and analyzing uh, the non-standard elements, so katakana um, on those, uh, and also just kind of contrasting them also not against a kind of a vague sense of norms, but the norms of the text. So I would use the author's like writing style, especially their writing style for their Japanese characters as the base. So this helped me like um, in one comic, uh, well, a bunch of comics, there were things that appeared in katakana that wouldn't appear in katakana in a like newspaper or a textbook, at least in theory. Uh, but they appeared in katakana everywhere. So that allowed me to kind of say like, this is not special. This is just the author's preference. Um, right. Like that. Uh, sorry, the light in this room just goes off. Uh, the if the author uses katakana as their norm, that might be interesting uh, as like them saying, I'm not going to follow the norm norms, I have my own norms, but it's not interesting for the text itself, right? It's not emphasis if it's what happens every time the word appears in the, in the text. 
So I made sure only to find things that were um, uncommon for the author's style or restricted only to certain characters that had definable attributes, like being a woman, being a foreigner, being a child, um, and seeing how kind of script played a role. And I did find, you know, like, like there were times that uh, emphasis occurred. There were times that you had issues that just couldn't be explained, just seemed like by chance. I remember in one, like within a single page, the word Hodo appeared in kanji and hiragana in the dialogue of the same person in reference to the exact same like it was like five centimeters hodo and the other was like 10 meters hodo so it's like there's absolutely nothing i could get out of that um but because i was able to do all that kind of background stuff i i was able to come with a bit more confidence that like what i'm showing here is stuff that can't be explained by any of the reasons and when you look at them a lot of them can be explained once we look at it from the sociolinguistic perspective. So uh, katakana, right, uh, being seen as a foreign script. Sure, absolutely, it absolutely is seen as a foreign script. But why does it appear in the speech of non-native speakers of Japanese? Uh, well, um, before I did my research, a lot of people told me, oh, it's it's due to their Japanese level. But uh, I did find that, you know, as the Japanese level gets, gets worse, the chance of katakana increasing goes up. But I saw cases where people's Japanese ability improved, but their katakana didn't increase. I saw people who were fluent that still had katakana for their pronouns. Um, and I saw cases where people were wrong, but confident and didn't have katakana in their speech. And there are all these kind of things working in there um, that I ultimately kind of argued was linking to this idea of a non-native speaker identity, uh, which of course has weaker Japanese proficiency as part of it, but does not guarantee that, right? So it's, it's linking to kind of these identities. Um, and you've shown a few times there the, the boku in katakana. Uh, that was with like this comic where uh, there was a kanji katakana divide between the pronouns of adults and teens, which you can say, okay, kanji old, katakana young, but characters could deviate from these norms when they behaved in certain ways. So when they kind of performed certain identities that the author treated as not necessarily like literally young, uh, but sort of not normative for the adults. Uh, so this character here is quite like kind of flashy and show-offy. Uh, they act in a very, very flamboyant manner. Um, and the young, like the young teenagers aren't, aren't flamboyant. They're just literally young. Um, but they have this kind of behavior that is contrasted with the more subdued behavior of the quote-unquote normative adults. So you have these beliefs about what it means to be a normative adult male, uh, what it believes to be a normative adult teen. Um, and the script here is shedding light on these kind of beliefs about language use, language users, which is something we know about uh, the choice of, yeah, boko, the choice of certain words, uh, but hasn't been shown kind of before that with script. Um, and then in the other side, I, in, in my book, I also wanted to look at if people read into script use in the same way. Like if I put katakana or kanji or hiragana into a text, if I emphasize the presence of it, do they just go, oh, it's cute? Or, oh, the author is old, right? Or do they, yeah, get these kind of um, interpretations? And, and what I found is they got these kind of interpretations that uh, were importantly context dependent. So kanji in one context created a impression of an author that didn't create another context and also very very heavily dependent on one's linguistic ideologies and experiences so people would say um i think this way because i've encountered people who use kanji this way or i think this because i've encountered people who use katakana this way um and so linking it to not only these abstract uh these abstractions but their actual lived experience of encountering uh writing and so that goes back to, you know, the reasons before, because people are going to have their preferences. And if, if poets, for whatever reason, have a preference for kanji, we're going to have social associations that using a lot of kanji is 
something that poets do or scholars, right? Uh, just like in English, use big words is scholar. But on the other hand, use big words is pretentious, right? Use big words is showing off that you use big words. Um, and if you use big words, but in the wrong case, you come off as trying too hard. So, you know, these, these kind of um, associations are linked to the way that we represent language rather than the way that we um, actually choose words. And so that's kind of, uh, I guess, what I've been trying to do with the research to date. Um, although I am kind of petering off at the moment because I'm not sure what else to say. But uh, it no, is to show that, interesting. yeah. Just going back to that that last point you said about mm. uh, if you use kanji, yeah. uh, it, it might be an aesthetic choice. It might be mm. because it's practical, it fits in. Or it mm. might be because you think it's cool. Now, in terms of right. marketing, for example, here, at Starbucks, they have chosen to use the kanji for mm. coffee instead of the usual katakana for coffee. Mm. And you mentioned in another interview that some Japanese people think that that's pompous or yeah. they don't like that, right? So it becomes mm. really subjective in mm. how the company is trying to communicate a certain style or aesthetic, mm -hmm. but it's off, It's not necessarily received in the same way. And that is kind of connected to your research, right? Yeah, yeah. So like once language leaves our mouth, we have no control over you know how it's perceived. So that Starbucks ad, for instance, I would actually, it, even though I critiqued um, this kind of analysis earlier, personally, like I wouldn't put this in a paper, but personally, when I see that, I see Starbucks trying to draw on the feel of kanji to create kind of an old feel, like, you know, old, uh, classic cafe feel. Uh, just and the other aesthetics of the poster, like the um, the katakana font, uh, the the coloring, it to me kind of has this like ye olde cafe kind of feel. That is my guess of their goal. Uh, I don't think Starbucks is trying to say like we're masculine or, or we're um, you know uh, uh, academics or something like that. Uh, I, I, for me, that's a very, you know, um, effective. Uh, I guess that that comes from an effective motive. But I think so, once that I poster... think so too. And I and you mentioned this, and mm -hmm. I think with Japan Kyo, uh, it kind of represents a higher quality coffee image. Yeah, when yeah. You use like, the kanji, and you do see this in other cafes too, right? Right, right. Yeah, cafes use the the kanji representation often to get that kind of like, look at us, we're a kanji cafe, right? You're you're not getting coffee and katakana here. You're getting coffee and kanji, which again is that very kind of. Um, effective, right? Like coffee is, doesn't have an identity. It's it's a thing, right? So, you, but but the thing is that because cafes are using that kanji, that's the social act. So even though they're they're um, that phenomenon, I think could be explained by the effective research. The fact of the matter is, you have people writing coffee in kanji, and when people see that, they go, oh, "Okay, so like baristas that want to this kind of barista, right? They might have the social image of like a." You know the uh, the kodawari kind of person in the with the, you know, with the white um, uh, what do you call it uh, apron like and, the and uniform the, the yeah the, the, and like the tucked the in uniform, like yeah right? and they'll have like a yeah. thing and like a uh, if they're a guy like a perfectly trimmed mustache kind of thing like that kind of social image gets linked to the to the coffee and kanji so when somebody uses it and that doesn't match the image uh, you get other interpretations like somebody might look at that Starbucks poster and say like Starbucks come on like get over yourself right that's like, yes, I get that you are being old, but you are also pretentious. Um, there's that context, right? If, if uh, Kodawari style, you know, the cafe is old and the, you have the, the social image matches, you go, okay, yes, that is, you know, you are using 
kanji and uh, coffee and kanji in a way that fits my linguistic ideology. But if it's like a, a you know a Dotour or a Starbucks, and they have that, you might go, okay, well, you know, you're putting on airs. Um, and that's something that's been you know mentioned. I, I remember uh, Nanette Gottlieb has done a lot of work on the history of writing from Japan. Just had a little throwaway line that she was walking with a scholar uh, who got upset at a bookstore that had an obscure kanji in their name, being like, "You're just a bookstore. Like, what are you trying to?" You know, I'm sure that the book people were like, oh, it's, you know, kanji literary, trying to get that literary affect. And for some, maybe they did. But for the other person, they, they, they assumed that the author of that sign was pretentious. So um, even though they had the effective motivation potentially motivating these signs, the interpretation is social. Because once we make a choice, once we use language, people associate that language not only with the images that circulate around that, but also with the people that make those choices. So uh, it's so interesting. Cute. And this, mm -hmm. I, I want to talk a little bit more in detail about your research. So you took the same text from a native Japanese writer and you presented it to Japanese speakers uh, in, yeah. in hiragana, kanji, or the four different scripts. And then you got their reactions about... Mm -hmm who it was or what kind of person this was. So it was all inferences based on the way it was written. Is that right? Yeah. So um, I did for the book, I did two studies that were uh, involving reception. And the first was I just had I made a note that said like Japanese research has shown that um, certain uh, pronoun script combinations are linked to certain character types in comics and novels, uh, what would you link to these? And then out of every single possible pronoun script type, I, I sent them like six and they just wrote whatever they wanted. Um, that was at the end of the survey uh, when I was actually, I flagged that I was talking about script. And then the other one that you were mentioning, uh, it wasn't just like, it's now all in Katakana, but I, I took texts I found on like a kind of um, Sodon corner, uh, you know, like life, corner uh tell my i have these problems kind of that i want help on um and i took the original and i cut anything that's like i am a girl or i am 22 um and then i made three other versions and each version emphasized one of the three scripts so i increased the amount of kanji in one i increased the amount of hiragana in another i increased the amount of katakana in the other and people in this case they weren't flagged to pay attention to the script they just said please read these three texts and tell me who you think the author is. Give me any detail you can. Uh, I didn't want to say like, tell me age. I didn't want to make them, you know, put like specific categories. I wanted just to keep it open. So if they didn't mention age, then, you know, they didn't feel like it was something they could read into. Um, and they each got one version uh, of the three texts. So so four texts, uh, so 12 total texts um, and randomized across the uh, respondents. Uh, and I just looked at, you know, first off, do, does interpretation change? Uh, interpretation of gender, interpretation of age, interpretation of just identity. And do they refer to the script when they're making their decisions? And the answer to both of those was yes. In fact, uh, they refer to scripts sometimes even when examining the unmodified text, which surprised me. So uh, even when the text was in, the in theory quite normal, the script use is sometimes flagged as something that gave them insight into identity. Uh, whenever I increased the presence of a script, it was flagged much more often, you know, by, by percentages of, of over 100%. But even, even with just a text that I thought was unremarkable, uh, people were paying attention to the script and, and leading it. And of course, like, you know, it wasn't, um, uh, the context was always key, right? It, it was that I used three texts to show that 
what's being talked about and the language use, what's being represented, what other words are appearing, just even what they're saying is also an influence. So it's it's tricky to unpack everything. But consistently, uh, there were interesting differences. There were, and, and of course, there were threads that like all versions of the text had certain interpretations. Uh, but in other cases, they would change, or even like the reason for the interpretation would kind of change. Like there's one about uh, somebody talking about medical issues they were having. They're wondering if they're psychosomatic. Uh, and they talked about consulting their parents. And so a common thread was that this person lives at home because why would you say, you know, I'm going to ask my parents about uh, my medical problems if you're not living at home? Uh, and indeed, the author was, uh, by their own, at least, admission, somebody that was in, uh, a teenager. But for the Katakana one, uh, sorry, for, for the, for the, um, uh, the Hiragana one, excuse me, uh, that living alone was not actually associated with youth, but on kind of being like uh, um, this, this sort of prospectless male identity, like somebody who uh, didn't have much going on and was kind of annoying. Um, so you know, while all the scripts, all the versions of the text were seen as, as person who lives at home, uh, it went from like person who lives at home because they are young to person who lives at home because they're not doing anything with their life. And that kind of change happened uh, through script primarily, which was was quite kind of interesting to see. And good, because I was all, you know, I was of course nervous doing this. It was just going to be like, cute, they are cuter. There is here and they are cuter. And that would throw my whole research track in the trash. So I'm glad that it was a bit more interesting than that. Yeah. How many people did you survey? Was it over 100, I heard you say, somewhere? Yeah, I don't remember the exact number, but uh, over 100 people um, total Responded, took the yeah? survey. Yeah, so I think it was around 30 to 40 respondents for each version of each text, which was much better than I expected. So I uh, was quite happy to get that many. Yeah. Yeah, really interesting. And lots of uh, things that you didn't expect had come up, mm -hmm. which is, is interesting. Now, we kind of touched on this a little bit. You talked about how some uh, text is using katakana uh, to express the character of the mm -hmm. person, maybe as more flamboyant. And then other parts of the text, he switches to more uh, typical kanji and hiragana use mm. uh, instead of using katakana when he's acting out. So this, mm. this type of using the script to give emphasis, but also to show maybe someone's character, I thought mm. was really interesting as well. Yeah, and, and you uh, saw uh, that, you just mentioned that as well, mm. like people inferred that from if it was in hiragana as a certain type of person, right? Yeah, in in the in the text, I didn't I didn't show the manga to them. But another thing just to note is that uh, even beyond the script you choose, because that character's pronouns contrast with the local norm in the comic, which for adult males is kanji, uh, you mark them as as deviating from the norm in some way, right? So you you establish their identity as not normal, and what normal means, of course, is is dependent on the person. But merely by including variation in a character. Um, you, you say that this is not a normal way of acting, which is, again, one of those kind of social meetings and social, uh, you know, ideologies, good or bad, right? This is not normal and good. This is not normal and bad. Those are both possible. But once you start representing somebody different than the norm, be it for the society or for a text, you establish them as uh, distinct from the average. And that is, again, a, a social decision that we do with language. Right? In English, if you, if you change spelling, uh, you might say, oh, but that's how they talk. Well, first off, is it? Uh, but secondly, you're still saying that they're not normal, 
they're not the norm. They're, they're something that needs special um, attention for whatever reason. Uh, they don't get the, the norm. When in fact, none of us speak in a way that perfectly reflects English spelling, right? Uh, same way with this. If you, if you have a, a man whose pronoun is Mboku and no other men in the comic have, uh, sorry, pro pronoun is in Katakana, and no other men in the comic have Katakana, you establish that character and their behavior uh, you know, subtly in a way that readers may not even pick up on consciously. Uh, as not standard, and that can have implications, right? especially um, when they're also represented that way visually, as in the case of, say, non-native speakers, et cetera. And you talk about uh, your initial reason to get so interested in the script of Japanese as foreigners represented by McDonald's speaking only mm -hmm. in katakana and yeah. how that really looks so completely different. You also did a really interesting uh, talk recently about Ojisan Goko Shio and mm -hmm. the parody of young women imitating how old men might try to pick them up as they communicate to each other. It's just yeah. a total turnaround of how <laughs> language is normally used. It's so interesting. Yeah, so that's um, that's something that uh, hopefully the uh, the paper on that should be coming out in a, in a few in a month or so. But basically, that that was exciting for me because that took everything to a level I hadn't seen. Because um, Ojisan Goko, it's uh, when they imitate these old lecherous men. Uh, who they call the Ojisan. Um, it in part, of course, involves like, you know, male associated pronouns, uh, various kinds of uh, phrasing. But there's actually marked uses of katakana and kanji and hiragana. And I'd never seen that. Like everything I'd seen before, everything I'd done in my research was emphasizing one script, right? So like I, I add hiragana or this person speaks with more katakana, right? That kind of stuff. Uh, but they were using uh, marked uses of all three. And so in, in trying to figure out what was going on there, basically, uh, long story short, when I was tracing that history, um, you had young women, uh, especially young, young Japanese in general, but young women especially, uh, playing with katakana uh, online in their texting, etc. Uh, then you had women in the Japanese uh, sex work industry, uh, hostess, uh, kapajo, that kind of thing. Um, and they would use more katakana. And emoji and kamoji because they're kind of emphasizing and playing up like a a style, if you will. Um, you know, like like the they use script to stand out, and that standing out makes them stand out amongst the the competitors because they are competing for an audience. Uh, then you had lecherous old men, and these lecherous old men were going and engaging with these women, um, and they sort of misinterpreted the exaggerated style as the norm. And then they tried to kind of use it to match the energy or to match the style. And of course they used it wrong in the same way that when you, you know, you like your parents try to use slang uh, that, you know, you picked up, it doesn't come off exactly perfect. And part of that's just like, you know, they're talking about like their day at the office. So that's not, the context is wrong. And even just the fact that it's coming out of a, a an older male, you know, fingers, it doesn't you know that that alone changes the context. So they, they took this exaggeration of a practice and then they misused it and then they of course combined their own writing habits which involved for instance the use of kanji in ways that are associated with older writers rather than younger writers and uh that all linked together and then the young women parodied that so the young women parodied parodied the mistaken imitation of the exaggeration of their own style which just showed this incredibly complex life 
of script in Japan that, uh, that I, I had not seen before. Um, it wasn't just like one group association. It was actually a history of observation and exaggeration and parody and mockery that resulted in all these different features being brought together. And then, of course, they're all lame, but they're used as a joke, so that makes them cool. So they're able to take these uh, lame old man writing styles and make them cool again because they're able to stop doing it and go back to the actual cool style. So it just, yeah, it, it expanded um, the social life of script in Japan to a way that I, I hadn't seen before. And it's, like I said, it's kind of got me a bit of bummer because I, I don't know where to go next. Something real yeah. quick. So when I, when I was listening to this, this talk, I was so interested because to me, it, it is obvious that the young women are using this parody to help mm -hmm. them cope with a really uncomfortable truth about yeah, their situation, resist, yeah. right? That it was a mm -hmm. coping mechanism. And in a way, it was empowering themselves by taking it, by owning this mm -hmm. kind of uncomfortable situation and making fun of it. They were mm -hmm. empowering each other as well. Really yeah, interesting. Absolutely, absolutely. And, you know, um, uh, inverting a long history of, uh, in Japan, there's been a long history of, of men older men especially commenting on young women's speech and saying it's vulgar or it's bad or it's changing or it needs to go back to a certain way. And in the online space, uh, these young, uh, you know, uh, young Japanese, predominantly young women are able to flip the script and they're able to act in a position of power, right? They're able to say, uh, no, here we know what's uh, correct, what's cool, and you don't know how to do it. And you're the ones that are wrong. And so they're able to find a space where they become the arbiters of proper language use. Um, and kind of flip that script and flip the, the normal the normal power relationship, uh, mocking the way that you know these old people can't use language in the right way uh, online. So uh, yeah, it, it is a, a fascinating form of kind of social resistance as well, uh, beyond just being uh, kind of a hilarious form of play. Really interesting, and I think it it goes right into the whole uh, marketing changes that you also mm -hmm. note in reason five. Uh, why change the script because it's creative? So mm -hmm. changing something like tofu, which yeah. uh, may not have the most exciting image, and changing the way that it's presented with different creative script could kind of change your branding of your product is really interesting. Yeah, I mean, the, the fifth reason is just that it's fun. Wordplay is fun and script play is a form of wordplay. It makes things seem fresh and it can avoid associations. So with tofu, of course, the foo is, is kusaru, which is rot. And, you know, tofu is delicious, but bean rot doesn't have the most, you know, um, appealing name. Uh, you know, uh, do you want some tofu? Sure, yeah, do you want some bean rot? And I'll pass. Uh, so they change it there to, uh, foo is quite common, um, and, you know, abundance. And also that word appears, that kanji appears in phrases like ayo whole foo, right? Full of nutrition. Uh, so they both kind of, of do some language play and, you know, language play and advertising is nothing new in any culture or any context, but it's, it's something you see in Japan because yeah, it is, it is, um, it is fun to do. It stands out. It does have that emphasis that goes back to number two, but, uh, you know, it allows the inscription of, of meaning on top of it. Um, it's, you know, we don't just, you know, we don't make bean rot, we make bean abundance. And that's, you know, more, more, uh, it's fun. And it, it has that kind of advertising uh, quirk. And then of course, you know, again, it goes back to number four because you put it out in the social. Yeah, that's so that the gomi bako again, that's not like 
Uh, I don't think your computer would produce that if you type Gobi Baku and hit space. It shouldn't, it might, uh, but it probably won't. But it, it's very, very common, right? Um, oh no, it's not a trash can. It's not a, it's not a Gomi box, right? It's a protect beauty box, kind of rethinking the meaning of the word, playing with it, um, and and ascribing those meanings, right? You read it if you read it out loud, the the changes is lost because it's just Gomi Baku. It's it's the sound is the same, but when you look at it, when you see it. It, it has that little bit of fun and it has that little bit of, of kind of wordplay, that social association that um, allows us to think, all right, what is the purpose of a trash can, right? Um, well, that one there, uh, that's Namagusai. So that's uh, uh, bloody fishy smell is the meaning of that. And people wanted that uh, for their children's name because if you break it down, um, it is moon and star, right? So, well, the, the left looks like moon, but if you know your Japanese radicals, that's the flesh radical. Uh, that's Niku on the left there. Um, so that's why, you know, all the organs, all the organs in your body, the kanji form will have that moon radical. It's not because of like, you know, some kind of romantic, uh, you know, moon. It's, it's like the moon, you know, it's nothing like that. It's, it's, it's what Niku looks like when it's slammed into a small corner. Um, but if you, it does look like moon and, and Jack's people are like, yeah, like, I don't care what it means. It looks like moon and star. Right, moon and or moon, sun and life. Like that's kind of cool. That's a cool thing to have for my children's name. And so they, I don't, I don't, unfortunately, know the outcome of that. But they petitioned the government to be like, hey, let us name our kid Bloody Fishy Smell because, you know, no one knows what this kanji means. No one actually uses it in day to day life. But when you look at it, it's like Moon Star. It's kind of you know, let us do it. And and so yeah, these these kind of things appear. People people like playing with language. People like thinking about language. People like breaking things down, even if it is you know, it's a historical. It's a linguistic in a way. It's not right in the the traditional sense, but it is kind of fun and it is kind of uh, you know poetic. It's, yeah, it's very poetic in a, in, a, in a way. But it 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 kind of frees you as well as as mm-hmm. a learner of Japanese, um, someone who's trying to be more creative in their branding for their business or yeah. uh, trying to communicate an idea in a new way in their Mm -hmm. own perception, right? So a lot of your talks gives me such inspiration that Japanese can be a more creative mode of communication, that you can create scripted Japanese in a a more unique way than Mm -hmm. your textbook or your teacher might be telling you. Right. Yeah, and, and Japanese people have been playing with the writing system since the history of the Japanese writing system. Like nothing I'm talking about is new. Well, I mean, like the the, the data is new, uh, the social implications are new. But yeah, that one's from the Manyoshu, um, which is that's just that was a clever way of writing the kanji deru, right? Yama. Uh, there's a mountain that exists on top of another mountain, so five kanji to represent just deru. Uh, just like like the links between, for instance. Um, Katakana kanji combinations and and lecherous old men is new, but uh, the the wordplay itself is not. Um, but there was always a risk. Like some people hate this stuff. Like some people cannot stand it. Like uh, the names I was talking about. Uh, there's all these you know they're called generally kira kira name uh, where people are playing with kanji and the names. And some people obviously love it because they're they're attaching uh, these names to their kids. Uh, but some people get really mad about it. Like really upset. Like there's. Um, there's controversies. I know that people have put like uh, um, uh, Hikaru and like have the kid's name is Pikachu. Um, somebody used Deco Boko. So the the up the if like this and then the opposite one, right? The the that one. Uh, and they read it as like Tetrisu. And you know, like whether or not you should name your kid Tetris is is a question. 
Um, but but they did, uh, and people got like people got really mad, like really really mad. There are some there there I won't even talk about because I do think some of them are, are quite questionable. Um, but well, there, yeah, like, in like, the newspaper a couple of years ago, there mm-hmm. was uh, a case where they wanted to name their child Devil. So this is probably one, an, uh, separate. another I saw reading, trying to do separate, right? which is again like maybe you shouldn't name your kid that, yeah. But um, the other ones like Pikachu, like again, like I don't know if that's the best yeah. thing, but. It's, it's uh, not nearly the same as Devil. We've only got five minutes left. Okay, I'd love yeah. to touch on how you've been doing research using Google Images, which I thought was really interesting. You were mm-hmm. talking about chair and the representations of chair in hiragana and mm-hmm. kanji versus katakana and the different kinds of results you were getting. And I thought this was really interesting and for someone who's looking into um, how script is used in different ways, this Google image search version is a is a really mm-hmm. interesting strategy. How did you start doing that? So um, I, I haven't actually done like an official paper on that or anything. Um, I just kind of use it as a very, very quick way of actually showing reason three, the effective ones. Because uh, I think it's a quick and dirty example. I use chair because actually, unfortunately, for um, some of the results, uh, nothing interesting happens. Um, chair is one where you do see, you know, these kind of images. So like the kind of old, hard, traditional, uh, that kind of comes up, uh, with Katakana, you get the more, you know, modern looking chairs and stuff like that. You get like the, the medical chairs here. You get the children's chairs. Another one that's very, very key is uh, Hiroshima. If you write it in kanji, you get tourist photos. If you write it in Katakana, you get pictures of uh, post atomic bombing. So there are some very, very clear examples. Um, there are the ones like, uh, I, yes, yeah, yeah, <laughs> there you go. Um, there are ones like like Megane, where I have actually a lot of authors talking about how Megane is very different for them in each script. But when you put it into Google, nothing interesting really happens. Um, so it is tricky. I, I wouldn't say it's uh, there, but it is something to note. And honestly, I guess the one thing I would say is that if you really want to advertise, uh, go into your images uh, meta tags and write the word in every single script so that every single script hits it. Um, so that'd be my advice there, yeah, uh, is to is to play the system because people do search in different scripts and there are uh, different you know links. So if you want to make sure that you get into every search on Google, uh, meta tag your image with every single possible representation of the word because uh, wow, that'll give that you the most a, hits. That's a good tip, but but this goes back to something that I often mm-hmm. say to businesses or destinations when they're thinking of a new name, especially yeah. if the name is in English. And I, the first thing I say is, did you Google that? Because mm-hmm. the images that come up is important. Does that fit the aim that you're trying to portray with these mm-hmm. words or this spelling? Um, so, for example, I was I often talk about sustainability and looking at how the SDGs, like gender equality, how that is translated. And then yeah. when I use a certain style of katakana, is this the image that I want to portray? So if mm-hmm. I did it in hiragana, for example, here, sustainable, it doesn't hit what I'm trying to portray. But in katakana or in kanji... Mm-hmm. The idea of sustainability and sustainable really does hit what I'm trying to talk about and what yeah. I want people to envision. So doing this kind of Google research, I think, is a really great strategy. Yeah, and it's it's tricky, though, because like you had that Hiragana sustainability one there, right? And it's uh, like, does that stand out? Yes, that that stands out, right? That from from all the Katakana sustainability, it stands out. Um, maybe to some readers, it looks a bit more like 
you know, Japanese or uh, kind of soft or even like linked to kind of nature and, and protecting, like maybe it creates feelings of that, that people want to associate with sustainability, that katakana kind of seems a bit more, you know, like medical and, and harsh. Um, but on the other hand, it means that it doesn't come up in Google searches, which you're absolutely right. And some people might think like, if you want me to take this seriously, like what is this, a sustainability advertisement for children? You run that risk as well. Um, and, if, you know, the thing is, if you use the Japanese version of, which it wouldn't be sustainable, right? It'd be um, uh, EG, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, EG Kano, uh, Kano. Like you have these problems of, uh, does it come off as too, like, Japanese, is that the term people are using? Uh, gender, for instance, the terms that, that people use in day-to-day -day Japan to refer to gender um, have changed. Uh, like, there are fads. Um, one I re found recently is the term sekumai for sexual minorities. Uh, appeared quite a number of decades ago, but uh, was sort of uh, overtaken by uh, Seiteki Shoususha. But that's kind of gone out of favor, and now it's coming back. So what people just even beyond script just the terms that people are using to refer to things uh are going to change and so being up to date about that uh you know is important and you can be up to date and decide not to go with the trend you can be up to date and decide that you're going to write sustainability in hiragana but it does it does come with risks but maybe benefits too if you, if you want to stand but out yeah doing doing that research and finding out what mm -hmm. is communicating clearly what you want to communicate that is mm -hmm. the aim right that is the key mm -hmm. and uh this this is why your research is so exciting and so interesting and i'm so happy to talk to you and encourage you i hope you keep doing what you're doing it's awesome <laughs> thank you very much i really appreciate uh you taking the time to uh and allow me to uh you know, rant about this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> it's great. And you're you're on YouTube a lot. If people want to dive into one of the topics that we briefly touched mm -hmm. on, um, you've got all the links to all your talks and podcasts and writing articles and your book mm -hmm. on your website. So that might be yeah. the best place for people to get information. Is that right? All, all the information on, on everything I've done, um, like all the speeches I've given, any Japanese language material I've offered any of my uh, casual kind of research blogging and a link to all the research that I published more formally. Uh, yeah, it's on my uh, my blog there, Scripture Japan. So that's the best place to uh, you know keep up to date with what I'm doing. If that's if you're keen to do so, um, and then I'm, I'm quite active as well on Twitter at uh, at Scripture Japan. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Dr. Wes Robinson, and I hope to have you on again uh, when you, you research more articles. <laughs> Absolutely, we'll do it. It is my job. So, uh, you know, there, there will be definitely more coming. Round and around and around. Are you near? Pick up your phone, dear. I've searched for hours, but you're nowhere. I found the note beside your care bear. Won't you see? Won't you see? I'll take your pain, just let me through. Don't worry, baby, I love you.
I show my tears to you, I'm stronger. I dropped the armor, now I'm bolder.